Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday School lesson for May 22nd of 2022. And we're going to continue on looking at the miracles of Jesus, of course, with the idea that uh, all of us, even those of us who have been saved for a long time, we need to know our Lord better. And we also want to be just uh, enthralled by him, to think of his power, his mercy, his grace, and certainly his mission when he came to earth. And so these miracles point us to the fact that he is divine. He's God in human flesh. And that's what made him qualified to be uh, our savior, able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice in our place for our sin, able also to bear up under the wrath of Almighty God. Only an infinite person could do that, an infinite being. And uh, that is the case with him. And so uh, I hope you're enjoying it and I hope your class is enjoying it. And um, then there's another aspect of this too. This same Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that tell us? that the Jesus that did all of these miracles back then in the Bible is the same Jesus that we worship and that we serve today. He's the one that we pray to, and he's the one that prays for us. He's the one that we call out to when we need salvation, and he's the one that saves, and also the one that keeps and defends us as our representative in heaven. And so... Um, when you think about Jesus, he's not just a God who can and did do miracles. He also can do them now. Now, understand that he doesn't just do them on a whim. Even back in the days when people would come to him and say, you know, heal me or make wine out of water. Or I know Mary didn't actually say that, but you remember that. Uh, he didn't do it just because he was asked, and he didn't do it just because there was a need. Think about this. We uh, consider the fact that Jesus was able to heal diseases, but did he heal every person with every disease? And the answer is no. He didn't even do that when he was on earth. <clears throat> when he raised Lazarus from the dead, did he show his power? He certainly did. But did he raise every dead person in the cemetery. And no, he did not. It was, it was specific for that particular situation with Lazarus. And the same thing is true in what we're going to look at here. He healed 10 lepers. And uh, yet there were probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of lepers that he didn't heal. Why, was he, why did he do that? Did he just not like the other people? No, because every miracle that he did in the New Testament, it was, especially in the Gospel of John, it was called a sign. This was something that spotlighted who he is. It fulfilled prophecy from the Old Testament, and it showed the power of God. And there are times that even today we hear people talk about, um, I had a sickness that was supposed to kill me, and it didn't. The Lord healed me. Doctors said there was no hope, but God raised me up. How many times have we heard that? Well, let's be honest. Not as many times as we would like to hear it. 
because we prayed for a lot of people that the Lord didn't heal. They, they died. Now, uh, again, if they go to heaven, then of course they are healed. But um, we know what we wanted when we were praying for that. We wanted them to take up their bed and walk like they did in the New Testament. But we forget sometimes it wasn't everybody at every situation, just some, and it was with a purpose. So we see today a lot of people, this prayer that we have for them doesn't get answered. But let's also think about the times when we have seen it answered. I think most of you watching this would have a story. There was something going on. There was a sickness. There was a situation. There was a need. And you didn't know what you were going to do. And you had exhausted all human resources. And then you prayed and the Lord met the need or the Lord gave the restored the health or whatever it might be. I know of a case where um, um, I can't remember the particular disease, but there was a, uh, a young person that had a disease the doctors were just baffled about. And the church, it was another church uh, that I was pastoring then, we prayed. And um, that night that we prayed, the doctor got on the internet and found something that helped this uh, child. And uh, the child is still living today. This is one of those things where the Lord can heal any way that he wants to, and he often does, but let's be honest, it's not as often as we would like and not as often as some uh, of the health and wealth people would want you to believe that it could happen. In fact, I'm not even sure that uh, their numbers are even all that great in terms of percentages because God does this according to his will and for specific purposes. Somebody said one time that there is a sickness unto uh, chastisement and there is also sickness unto death and there is sickness unto the glory of God. And so if it's a sickness unto chastisement, then only that person repenting of their sin is going to get that off of them. They may well die because there is a sin unto death. If it's um, the sickness unto death, then you and I are not going to be able to stop it because that is the plan of God. Nobody's going to live forever here on earth. We're all going to die. It's appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die and then the judgment. And so we're all going to die. It's just a matter of when we're going to die, right? And so uh, if there's a sickness unto death, then that's the purpose of the sickness. As the body is shutting down and things are breaking down, sickness may occur or the sickness may cause that or it may accelerate that. And uh, if that's the will of God for them to die, Psalm 139 says that the days that we have were set by God before we had any of them. So that's going to happen. But if it's sickness for the glory of God, then I could think of two things that might happen because I could see somebody like my friend who has ALS. Uh, he's still alive. He's still breathing. I still pray for God to heal him. Okay. But when I think about what the odds are and what's happening, he probably is going to die from this. Okay. I don't know. 
depending on whatever the Lord does, or the Lord may come back tomorrow and it doesn't matter, does it? But uh, probably he is. At the same time, God is getting so much glory through Vernon's witness. People are listening to him now that would never listen to him before. On Facebook, there are times when he preaches and they post that sermon on Facebook and he has to use a computer because his voice is gone. And uh, we've had classmates that uh, don't know the Lord that have listened to him preach. They never would have listened to him before. And so there's a place where the sickness to the glory of God and sickness unto death, as far as we know, seem to kind of intersect and uh, overlap. Now, the sickness unto chastisement is probably not going to give a good representation of Christ. Um, believers that are under chastisement usually are not really good witnesses, are they? Not very joyful or anything like that, because the only thing they can do is to repent. But uh, with that being said, this is why whenever we hear about somebody getting sick, like in the church or in our family or a neighbor or something like that, we should not wait to exhaust all other resources before we turn to the Lord. We ought to turn to the Lord first. And uh, that kind of reveals the uh, amount of our faith and the amount of our trust. The other thing that I would say is, when they die, if they are a Christian, they went to heaven. Now, now tell me in what universe is that a defeat? And yet there are some people that act like, well, I prayed for this person to get healed and God didn't heal them. And then they mope around about it as if somehow God was unfaithful and uh, not powerful or something went wrong instead of seeing that that was the plan of God for them to go to heaven and think about what they are experiencing in heaven and all of the promises of God. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love them. And this person is experiencing that just as it was promised. He's living in that place that John 14 says that Jesus has prepared for him. I mean, it's just a, a glorious thing to be absent from the body and present from the Lord. And so we've got to kind of get ourselves in line and think more biblically about this instead of thinking so selfishly. Now, is there a time to grieve? Of course there is. Is it proper to grieve? Of course it is. But Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that he was concerned and he told the Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. Because we could go there and a lot of people do, but we don't want to end up there. And so that's why we're looking at these miracles of Jesus because they have a practical application in life for us today. So we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke this time. Luke chapter 17. We'll read verses 11 through 19. And I'm going to ask the question as we get ready to read this, how thankful are you? Believers are commanded to give thanks in all things or in everything. That's very difficult to do, isn't it? And we are never given a command to complain. 
stop and think about that. That's something that we might go, well, everybody knows that. Well, we sure don't act like it. We act as though it is normal. We act as though we have a right and we act as though it is a biblical mandate for us to gripe and to complain about life and situations and others and all of that. We're not. We're told to give thanks and to give thanks in everything. And so it's normal to complain because of our depravity. It's normal to be dissatisfied. It's normal to be unthankful. And it's normal for us to feel entitled. We all want to be king and we want to be the king of our world and king of everything else. As I said last Sunday morning, that is why somebody pulls over in your lane and it really doesn't slow you down all that much, but it makes you mad. Why? You're the king and that person just invaded your sovereignty and they weren't supposed to do that. And that goes into just about every uh, part of life. We really do want things to go according to our will and our command and anything that gets in the way is really frustrating to us. Now, it is only the transforming grace of God that changes this. And that's what we're going to see an illustration of Luke 7 um, verse 11 through 19. Let's begin. Now, it happened that he went to Jerusalem Excuse me. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Most of you know that thing about Samaria that ought to kind of get your attention. Verse 12. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that interesting? As they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, And one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was, of all things, a Samaritan. Luke doesn't say of all things, but that's a, the inference there, isn't it? And he was, can you believe it? A Samaritan. This would have been shocking to the Jews. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he doesn't mean that in a derogatory tone. He means that in an astonished and marveling tone. This is an attention-getting situation here. Verse 19, and he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, don't you know this was a happy time when this leper shows up at uh, his house? And can you imagine initially the fear? I mean, we just went through COVID 
and uh, you know all of the masks and the vaccines and social distancing and all of that. Little little taste of what it was like to be a leper, except that leprosy was 100% fatal. And uh, in the type of leprosy that they had in the Bible, little different than uh, what we call leprosy or Hansen's disease, I believe they call it today. Um, The kind that they would have, it would cause you to lose feeling in certain parts of your body. For example, I'm... uh, I've got allergies kind of going on right now, and my nose kind of itches. And have you ever noticed that when someone else's nose itches, your nose itches as well? So some of you probably scratched your nose too. But uh, I feel that, okay, when I do that. In the type of leprosy that we're talking about here, the feeling would be gone, and what they would do is they would literally rub their noses, or they would cut their fingers off, or different things like that, and they wouldn't even realize it. They wouldn't even know it. You see, God gave us feeling and nerves and pain for a reason, and people with leprosy would not have that. They would have sores that they didn't feel, but they could see, and uh, there'd be gangrene and different things like that, different infections, and uh, it was a contagious disease, and it was terrifying to people in that day. There was no cure for it. And if, uh, you know, they got around you and touched you, then you got it. And so to keep everybody safe, they had to stay away where there wasn't even any possibility. They didn't know whether it was transferred through uh, only physical touch and contact or if it could come through a sneeze or through breathing, or if it was just emanated from the body or being around them. They had no idea uh, with all of that. And so what did they do? They isolated them, isolated them. And the lepers had to, whenever they came upon people, they had to call out unclean, unclean. And that gave people a chance to get away from them And so uh, you can imagine that they weren't welcome in town. They weren't welcome in the family. And all of a sudden they show up at the house. And by the way, if you had a disease like that, how excited would you be if you were a priest at the temple and somebody came up and said, check me, I think I'm clean. I mean, how many times does that happen? And the priest looks and he goes, yikes, you're not, get out of here. But uh, in these cases, of course, the religious community is going to be affected by the fact that there are lepers showing up who no longer have leprosy certified by the priests to be clean. And the fame of Jesus, of course, is going to continue on through that. So uh, these lepers, can you imagine as they integrate back into society, and I'm sure with some degree of suspicion, but it must have been a very joyful thing for them. So let's consider these points. Number one, Misery does love company, verses 11 and 12. Now, Jesus, as he is traveling, he goes through Samaria again. Now, Jews typically did not go through Samaria. And it wasn't just that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, but the Samaritans could care less about the Jews. So it wasn't that the Jews uh, saw signs that said, Uh, Welcome to Samaria. Come stay in Samaria. Great hotels in Samaria. The Samaritans didn't want the Jews there any more than the Jews wanted to be there. It went 
uh, both ways on that situation. It was an extreme hatred that they had for each other. They wouldn't even worship together, if you remember the woman at the well situation. And so uh, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that instead of going around, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So that was an unusual situation, not the Galilee part. That was where he was from. Nazareth was in Galilee, but going through Samaria, yeah, that would be uh, kind of a problem. Now they get to a certain unnamed village, God knows. And then these 10 men met him who were lepers and they stood afar off because that was protocol. That's what they were supposed to do. And so this, of course, is a divine appointment. It's an unusual situation. And let's think about these two unusual things. Jesus, a Jew, was around Samaritans. That would be enough to set him apart, to make him different, to make people talk, to stir up interest. What is he doing around Samaritans to begin with? But also, as you read through the text, you find that the lepers were a mixed group. There were some Jewish lepers, and obviously there were Samaritans, at least one, because the one that came back and gave thanks was listed as a Samaritan. So apparently the other nine were Jews. Well, what brought them together? Well, that's the point. Misery loves company. Isn't it amazing? Um, you've heard the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Why? Misery loves company. Birds of a feather flock together. How many other cliches are there about that? People tend to gather in groups, in tribes, around common interests, or maybe even around common hatreds or common misfortune. In this case, Jews and Samaritans didn't really worry too much about being together if they had leprosy. How could life get any worse? What can a Samaritan add to the misery that I have? We're all in this together in this situation. And um, how separate were lepers to be from healthy people? Well, at least one authority, um, and, and this is going back and looking at writings from ancient times, uh, said it, it, it came down to that... Um, if you were windward, I'm assuming that means downwind, of a healthy person, the leper should stand at least, you ready for this? 50, not feet, 50 yards away. 50 yards away. That's half a football field. That's a long way away. That's how afraid that they were. And um, so you think about what isolation really is. You think you were isolated during COVID and how that affected so many people? Well, nothing could better show the bitter and utter isolation in which lepers live. That was just everyday life for them. And so their disease and social situation broke down the normal barriers. Didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Samaritan. And this is why um, we are to rejoice always and in everything give thanks and glorify God in all that we do because it brings like-minded people together. Likewise, complainers and gripers attract the same and uh, bring it out in others. And so some groups of believers are 
spiritual leper colonies. Some churches are spiritual leper colonies. What do I mean by that? Misery loves company and they are miserable. And they get together and you never hear words of praise. You never hear shouts of joy. You never, everything is, you know, Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh, isn't it? It's always bad. There's always something wrong. There's always something that didn't quite work out. Always pointing out those kind of things and talking about those kind of things. And then they complain because they don't seem to have any fun and they don't seem to have any happy and joyful friends. Well, birds of a feather flock together. And so if you're a rejoicing, happy, thankful person, you're going to attract those kind of people and you're going to have an effect on even some of the negative people, hopefully. But the other thing turns true as well. If all you see is everything's down, everything's bad, everything's going everybody else's way, it never goes my way, all of that, well, then you're going to attract those kind of people. And churches are to be filled, according to the scripture, with thankful, grateful, rejoicing, praising people. Number two, the appropriate prayer for the desperate. Verse 13, and they lifted up their voices. They were shouting this out and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so crying out to the only one who can save and heal that's the appropriate thing to do, isn't it? And notice that they called him Jesus. That is uh, the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is uh, very close to the Hebrew name uh, Yahashua. Uh, they're both forms of the same word, Joshua. And it actually means that Yahweh saves, God saves. And uh, either name you use kind of has that same meaning. Well, these lepers understood that only God can save us. And we've heard rumors that this Jesus of Nazareth is God. And so they call him by his name. And then they also called him by another title, master. And that speaks of authority, power, and sovereignty. And after affirming this authority, they appealed to his compassion. Have mercy on us because no one has compassion like God does. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so they were desperate, desperate for Jesus. And the question might come, are you? Because Jesus has a way of meeting with the desperate, with the desperate heart, the broken heart, the contrite heart. And yet we do everything we can to keep from ever having that. And we like to have our options wide open. And we like to have a lot of things we can do. And if Jesus is one of them, well, well and good. But as long as I feel good about myself with all of these options. But we need to be more like the lepers, desperate for Jesus. And uh, we have the tendency that if we have other options, we take them. And crying out to Jesus is usually our last resort. And so... They did the right thing. They prayed. Number three, notice that Christ deals with different people in different ways. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Okay. Now he's done that before. He's done that before, hasn't he? But notice on this, he didn't touch them. He didn't spit in the dirt and make clay. He didn't uh, do anything like that at all. He just said, when they said, have mercy on us and heal us, said, go show yourself to the priest. And you notice in this situation, it was as they were going. 
that exercise of faith, <coughs> believing the Lord, that's when the, <coughs> pardon me, the healing came. Now, this is different from the way he dealt with another leper, like in Luke 5, 12 through 14. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a, as a proof to them. So uh, he deals with different people in different ways. Now let's be really clear. There's only one way to God and that is through Christ. Anybody that tries to get saved outside of Christ, apart from Christ or in addition to Christ did not get saved. Okay, that's very clear. There's only one way. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Now, however, we do understand this. There are many ways to Christ. How did you get saved? A revival meeting? A crusade somewhere? Some of you have. Somebody hands you a tract? Did somebody come up and confront you and uh, ask you if you were going to heaven or hell? Did somebody be kind to you and bring you a meal when you were hurting or when you were going through a time of grieving? I mean, what happened? Did somebody befriend you? And over time, you began to ask them questions about their life and what they believed and they shared Christ with you and you got saved. There are a lot of different ways that people come to Jesus, but you have to come to Jesus. And he doesn't always deal with everybody in exactly the same way. And this is one of the things we try to come up with these formulas. If you will say this and do this, and it's almost more like a, an incantation, shall we say? And then we say, this is going to guarantee that Christ is going to answer your prayer. Well, notice even in the Bible, when Jesus healed, he didn't do it all the same way and deal with them all the same way. That is up to him. And so... Uh, Think about, you know, all of the things that we can do to minister to other people. And we don't have to just do them copycatting one person. <clears throat> we can learn from other people, but we don't always have to do everything the same way. We do want to be biblical and we want to be ethical. and We want to be right about this. But there are many ways to Christ, but only one way to God. John 14, 6. And number four. The unlikely one returned. And isn't that the way it is so many times? We look at different people that we say, oh, that would be a good person to get saved, and they don't. But this other person that we overlook, that we don't think has any value or any use in the church or the kingdom of God, and yet that's the one that gets saved. Remember what Paul said? <clears throat> not many mighty, not many noble. What was he speaking of there? God just tends to save nobodies. Common, everyday, garden variety, nobodies for his glory. The unlikely one returned. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice, we need to be vocal in our worship. He glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Now, one of the marks of a lost person is being ungrateful. So if you're an ungrateful person and you're never content and 
you just really are not all that thankful unless somebody brings it, brings it up and then you feel guilty for it. But if that's not uh, something within your nature, you need to see whether you're actually saved or not. Second Timothy 3, 1 and 2. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. That's their biggest problem. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Some translations actually say unthankful there. And as a result, they're unholy. Well, nine Jews went on their way and the Samaritan returned. Now, this would have shocked the self-righteous Jews. You got to be kidding me. This unclean person is coming back. This Samaritan is the one coming back. And the ones that we presume were Jews that went to the priests to show themselves, they didn't bother. They didn't bother. I get the idea that the nine thought that this is what was supposed to happen. It's about time God acted. It's about time God healed me. I am, after all, a Jew, one of the sons of Abraham. How many lambs have I offered? How much money have I given to the temple fund? It's about time God took care of all of this. Don't you kind of get that vibe? But the Samaritan, he didn't have any hope that God would do anything for him. He considered that the rejection of the Jews would also be the rejection of God and the rejection of the Son of God, who was himself a Jew. But you find here that that doesn't happen, and he's so overwhelmed. Jesus made a statement, I believe it was in uh, relationship to Mary Magdalene, of whom, um, when there is much forgiveness, there will be much love. Well, that's showing up here in this Samaritan, too. And so I wonder, how forgiven do you see yourself and how desperate do you see your need for the forgiveness of Christ? It'll change your thankfulness and you'll return that in thankful love. The Jews didn't see it because they really thought they were entitled to all of this stuff. This um, would be offensive to other Samaritans. You're coming back and falling at the feet of a Jew? Don't you know what the Jews have done to us? Don't you know how they hate us? And we hate them too, by the way. And if you're a friend of a Jew, you're no friend of ours. Can you imagine? Can you imagine one of the Samaritans telling this guy, the only good Jew is a dead Jew? You know, that kind of feeling. Understand that racism always goes both ways, doesn't it? And Jesus is obviously pleased with this, as he designates him, this foreigner, someone who is not of the household of Israel that God took care of. So we conclude by uh, thinking of this. John MacArthur says, in fact, he has a sermon uh, on this where he says, 10 were, were healed, but one was saved. Do you know it's possible to be healed by the Lord? In fact, I'll go so far as to say, all healing comes from the Lord, lost or saved. Some lost person has open heart surgery like I did and they're doing as well or better than I am. Listen, God did that. God created their bodies to heal. God put all that in motion. God gave the doctors wisdom. You don't have to be saved to be healed. And this story shows that. But this one guy, the most unlikely, he's the one that he is spotlighted for his faith. Your faith has made you well, and uh, so I would agree with Dr. MacArthur. Ten were healed, one was saved.
How do we know? Well, he focused upon Jesus. Secondly, he glorified God. And thirdly, he was thankful. And fourthly, he worshiped. And fifthly, he was pointed out as having true faith. And he was a Samaritan, John says. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? And where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's the Lord that we serve, the compassionate and the powerful, the one who can do something and the one who is able to do something about our desperate situations. Turn to him, run to him, be thankful to him, give glory to God as you do that and show the marks of a Christian because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever praise his name. Thank you for your time and thank you for watching this and may the Lord bless you and bless your family and uh, I love you and I appreciate you so very much. Again, God bless.